Good evening once again. Just one quick um, one quick, quick thought out of uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, and then maybe a little bit out of the 2 Peter there. One of the few places, I think it may be the only place, that describes flesh as grass. I have to remember that because my grass is pretty tall right now. But it's temporary. It's temporary. Um, 1 Peter 1, 24, For all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Both of those pop up and then they're, they're gone. The grass withereth, and the flower therefore falleth away. But, but, the word of the Lord endureth forever. Do you know things can endure but not be under stress? Think about that. Does anybody really think there's anything that is stressing out the Word of God? Jesus goes into the wilderness, tempted of the devil. Um, was it to see if he would fail? Or was it to prove he could? Um, saw a commercial, don't know how accurate it was. I don't know how good the product is, but it was a type of paint. They had painted the wall with it, and everything they threw at it, it just... Just came right off of there. Just came right off of there. Word of God's not under some sort of great stress. What what he's trying to tell us is that there's a lot of things thrown at it. And here's a really interesting part. And this is the word. I have a I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying this this next part. I have a feeling that when Brother Marty gets up here, he's going to use the scripture. I hope y'all are thinking that too. Now this is the word by which, which by the gospel is preached. You know where you find the gospel? It's in the word. And that endureth forever. I won't turn over there to Second Peter, but where Brother Jeff was at this morning, and he, he mentioned it there in closing, right on the heels of, of the first chapter telling us that we have a more sure word of prophecy than the eyewitness account of the transfiguration. I'm still not, my brain still hasn't processed that. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. That is the scripture. The next chapter begins by saying there were also, by the way, I think we can all say at the same time. At the same time that the Holy Ghost is moving men to pen the infallible word at the same time. By the way, that's history. You can go back and look. There was a lot of there was a lot of counterfeit Bible, if you will, in the day. At the same time there were false prophets among us spreading here's a word we hear every once in a while, misinformation. Question. Did Second Peter chapter two change Second Peter chapter one? No, it didn't. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for the, for the blessings of this weekend, for the good words of truth that we've heard. And Heavenly Father, this is another time, and we thank you for the privilege of, of being able to worship and to praise your name here. And we just pray, Lord, that right now you would be with your servant, Brother Marty Smith. Just bless him, Lord, and just give him grace to deliver the words of truth. And give us grace to hear those words and apply them to our lives. Uh, forgive us, Lord, we have failed you. Strengthen us, Lord, we are weak and May all that we do, say, think, and undo, Father. May it all glorify and magnify you. We do beg in Christ's name and for his sake. And amen. Amen. amen.
This is the word of the Lord. I told you. Found in John chapter 14, starting with verse 25 and reading through verse 31 into the chapter. John chapter 14, starting with verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. It's over 37 years ago I stood in this pulpit. It was a special meeting here at Moriah. Good attendance. I don't remember if it was a Friday, Saturday morning or afternoon, but... A lot of folks here. I was 29 years old waiting for the birth of our first child. Uh, The doctors had done one of those ultrasounds they had in that day, 2D, and found uh, something not quite right with the scan of of the baby's kidneys. And they assembled some doctors together, specialists, and said it was, uh, four out of five said it was highly likely that the, the malformation was severe and there would be a surgery after birth and looked like there might be a lost kidney or something. That's, that's hard at any time, but with your firstborn and you don't know anything about, about having or raising children, it, it was very hard. And so I don't remember what I tried to preach on that day, but I did ask the folks assembled that day for prayers. And uh, after the meeting was over and we were out in the parking lot, uh, Sister Mildred's mom came to me. She said, uh, I've heard your request and I have prayed unto the Lord. And I think there will be an operation. And I said, well, that's what most of the doctors seem to feel. She said, no. She said, I think the Lord will do an operation prior to the birth of the child. I said, well, I I hope so. (laughs) That was really encouraged me. It did encourage me. Anyway, the time drew near and she was delivered and things seemed to be functioning right then, but they, they took the baby 
and into a separate place to do an ultrasound or x-ray or scan on her and found out that she was just entirely normal, perfect. That child didn't have a cold during the first year of her life. And uh, Sandy and I just left from seeing her uh, and her seven-year-old daughter at the birthday party of her one-year-old niece. So to those that were here that day, thank you. Thank you. And to all of you that are here this day, thank you. Thanks for for having me with you. I so enjoyed last night's meeting. Mm -hmm. The singing was beautiful. The introduction and prayer was beautiful. And the message was so powerful. So powerful. God is sovereign. God is good. God knows what you're going through. Even in the deepest and darkest of times. Hang on to that. That is a scriptural truth. It's a scriptural truth we need in order to live as best we can while we're in this world. I read most of these verses for context. You probably were able to pick up as I read them that this is the time right before the Lord's crucified. As a matter of fact, they just finished the Last Supper and He just washed the apostles' feet. And he's still teaching them about love and about the things that are coming up. And then right at the end of the text there, he says, Arise, let us go hence. That means they leave the upper room, go out into Jerusalem, head out of the city to the brook Kidron, the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's arrested. So that is the context. The Lord is about to be arrested, tried unjustly, and crucified. So I read that for the context, just briefly commenting on it. The Lord, on several occasions, or multiple occasions, gives the reason He's speaking, what He's speaking. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. I want to say these things while I'm still with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things. Now, after the Lord was crucified and the Holy Ghost came upon the apostles, did they know the secrets of nuclear physics? (laughs) Did they know mass spectrometry? Did they know French? The language didn't even exist at that time. He shall teach you all things doesn't mean that you would have every fact without exception. It meant the Holy Ghost would teach them all manner of things they needed to do what they needed to do to lead the early church. The all things was qualified. It was all things not without exception. All things without distinction. So that's just one of those examples. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. The peace of this world is mostly just a temporary suspension of hostilities. That's about all the peace of this world is. People work so hard in order to gather enough to retreat to a 
a tropical island somewhere and they find that they haven't achieved the peace that they thought they would because they've either taken someone else with them or they've taken themselves with them and they're still not at peace. The peace of this world is little more than a temporary suspension of hostilities. But the peace given by the Lord Jesus Christ is the comforting, strengthening presence of the everlasting God. That's the kind of peace I need. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And you know, when you have the peace of God, you can do just that. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. There's a prophecy. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Well, I thought they were one. They are. The Father and the Son are one. But right now, the Son of God was acting in the role of the Son of Man. And He was showing His submission and obedience to God the Father as love and as an example to these His disciples. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Does that comfort you that even the apostles that wrote, wrote the New Testament and established the early church needed things to help them believe? You know, after He rose again, it says in Mark 16, He met with His apostles and He upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. The apostles! So if you've had occasions in your life when you've gone through unbelief, there's two extremes I don't want you to do. One extreme is just to, is just to uh, give up and say, I went through unbelief, I must not be cut out to be a disciple. I think I'm just going to give up. Oh, the apostles went through that. The other extreme is if you go un- through unbelief that you say, well, that's just alright, everybody goes through it. I'll keep on living in unbelief. That's a bad extreme too. The proper balance is unbelief is bad when the words are the words of Jesus Christ and He would upbraid me for it, but that's not the end of the journey. I still have many miles to follow Him. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now that, if I have a text tonight, that's my text. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, The Lord Jesus Christ continued teaching them in John chapter 15. He is the vine, ye are the branches. He continued teaching them in John chapter 16. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In John 17 you have the Lord praying unto the Father. I'm not sure exactly where this is doesn't seem to be in Gethsemane because in the next chapter they're at the book Kidron. I don't know, but this is the Lord praying unto God the Father that His children and He and the Father might be one. There is the very essence of life is to be one with God, bound up in the bundle of life with the Lord God. And if Jesus Christ prayed for it, do you suppose that prayer is going to be granted? I believe firmly that it will be granted that we might be that that they might be one even as we are one. He prayed for that. So he he taught them for a little while, 
Then he took them in the Garden of Gethsemane and asked them to watch and pray. And he did that three times. And he came back the last time and their hearts were heavy with sorrow. They had fallen asleep. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak and they were falling asleep. And the Lord said, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is come and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. And I just had this view of them sleeping there on the ground and the Lord Jesus Christ watching over them as they sleep. Knowing that the time's coming just in a few minutes that He's going to be hauled off to the house of Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And there He'll be blindfolded and spit upon and His face struck with the hands of the servants and His cheeks lacerated by the rods that they strike Him with. That's coming. But He's watching over them as they, as they sleep. That's the kind of Lord we have. That's the kind of Savior that we have. But he taught them there in John 13, 14, 15, 16 and prayed in John 17. So he had a little bit, but he said, hereafter I will not talk much with you. The words were going to be few. It was going to be of short duration. Pretty soon he was going to be arrested and carried away. And not many words with them after that. Really not many words at all because he wouldn't speak much in his own defense. Just not many words. The time... For words was drawing to a close. The time for deeds was coming. This was the hour. He said, mine hour is coming. Was what He had come to earth to do. Hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world coming. Who is the prince of this world? It's the devil. It's Satan. Used to be Adam. Remember, God created him and said have dominion all over the earth. And, and uh, replenish the earth and subdue it. Adam was supposed to be the prince of this world. He abdicated his position in his disobedience. And so another stepped up, which was a deliberate plan, to become the prince of this world. And this is the one that was coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the devil himself. I thought of this last night as I was listening to Brother Jeff. Uh, I... I was greatly blessed by that message. But one thing he said that just triggered this for me was that God suffered Satan to tempt Job, to, to, to afflict Job twice. Once in chapter 1, by destroying what Job had. Second in chapter 2, by afflicting Job's body. Now, when I read through the Bible, if I had to pick the man that <clears throat> suffered the second most in the human race, I'd probably pick Job. If I pick the man that suffered the most in the human race, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought how similar that was. It never had occurred to me before. Satan came along and made it so that things that Job used to have, he no longer had. He no longer had his sheep. He no longer had his camels. He no longer had his donkeys. He no longer had his children. Yes. He thought that would break him. He thought it would make Job curse God. And yet Job shaved his head and tore his clothes and fell on the earth and worshipped God. Yes. So Satan again had a conversation with God. 
And he said, Yeah, skin for skin. All that a man hath will he give for his life. God suffered him to afflict Job one more time. He said, Behold, he is in thy hand, that is his body, but take not his life. And Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with such a disease that he had the sore boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. And he took that piece of broken pottery and scraped his skin. And other places Job briefly describes his disease. He says, when, he says, when day comes, I say, oh, that it were night. And then when I try to sleep, I can't sleep. I'm terrified by nightmares. He says, my breath is strange to my wife. I call for my servant. And he wouldn't hear me. My garment is changed by the force of my disease. Can you put yourself in his shoes? So this second affliction, Satan came and afflicted his body, and yet Job held fast his integrity. You know what integrity means? It comes from the same root word that we have, uh, if you're into social justice, integration. If you're into mathematics, integral. Either one, it has to do with something being put together and being one. It's not segregated. It's not differentiated. It's integrated. It's an integral. Integrity means there's a wholesome oneness. And Job was holding on to a unifying principle that lived deep within him that God was God, He was God's servant, and God was to be obeyed. And God was not to be cursed, but blessed and worship. And Job held on to that with his words. The Scripture says in all this, Job uh, cursed not God with his lips. Now, I don't know what was going on in Job's mind. I can imagine what would be going on with me. And thinking his mind must have been torn up. And, but he never said anything against God. And his wife, and let's have some sympathy with her, she was now... Childless after ten children. She now had no assets, no income, and a sick husband to care for. Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. He says, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good from the Lord's hand and not evil? In all this did Job sin not, neither curse God with his lips. And it occurred to me that when... The Lord Jesus Christ spoke this in John 14, 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh. It wasn't the first time that Satan had come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember the first time? Now, I don't know if there were other times, but these are the two that the New Testament mentions. The first time Satan came to our Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who had been in the wilderness not eating nor drinking for 40 days, and He came to Him, and just like He could show Job his loss, you used to have oxen, but you don't have any. You used to have camels, you don't have any. You used to have children, you don't have any. Now He comes to Jesus Christ who's incarnate. He is the Son of Man. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's tired. And it didn't used to be that way. If thou be the Son of God, 
command that these stones be made bread. You remember what Jesus as the Son of God had? All the cattle of a thousand hills and all the gold of Ophir. Everything belonged to Him. All was His. Now, He's without a meal. Think about that for a minute. Then the next temptation came along. Took Him to the pinnacle of the temple. If thou art the Son of God, cast thyself off the temple. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. What is that? Psalm 91. Satan can quote Scripture. Showing the Son of Man what He used to have. He used to have complete safety. Who could threaten the Son of God? You know what the Son of God did? He created the universe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Could anything hurt Him? No, He made it. He could unmake it. No weapon that is formed, He said to His people, shall prosper against thee. If it won't prosper against His children, is it ever going to prosper against Him? No, no. Now He's the Son of Man. If He jumped off a temple, you know how what 2 Corinthians 13 says? That the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified through weakness. That is, He consented to make Himself weak enough to die. So he had another scripture. It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And he says all this, the glory of these kingdoms, is delivered unto me. And I will give it unto thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Well, you remember what the Son of God used to have? that multiple myriads of angels sang His glory. says it in the book of Job. Where was thou, Job? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, who were they singing to? And who were they shouting for? The Son of God. Now Satan's dealing with him to give him a little bit of glory on this pitiful little fallen planet here that we live on. Do you like a little bit of this glory? How about all the kingdoms of the earth? How about that little bauble? How about that little trinket? Will you worship me for that? Because you sure lost a lot of glory. You don't have a lot of glory you used to have. The Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, the Lord is God, and Him only shalt thou serve. But can you see the nature of the temptation? It's very similar to Job. It's what you used to have and now don't have. He's coming to tempt him in his possessions. What he has. Now the second temptation of Job, the second trial and suffering, he came and couldn't kill him, couldn't take his life, but he could abuse his body. He could make his breath strange to his wife. He could make his garment change by the force of his disease. He could make it so that he couldn't sleep. He could make it so that... uh, that he, to get some relief, he'd be scraping himself with a piece of pottery. 
Well, could Satan kill Jesus Christ? No. No. No man. And if no man, that's about the only way Satan... Well, he, he couldn't take it because he said, I have the power to lay down my life. And I have the power to take it up again. So he couldn't be killed, but what did, what did Satan cause to happen to his body? And if you just think about the physical aspects of crucifixion. Now just the physical part, because that's, that's about all Satan and man could do. They took him and they blindfolded him and they spat on his face and they struck him with the palms of their hands. They struck him with a rod. They brought him to the Romans who scourged him, that is, tore the skin off his back, and put a crown of thorns on his head. And then the crowd cried for his crucifixion and they put uh, nails through his hands and a spike through his feet. That's not how you die from crucifixion. You generally don't live long enough to bleed out. What happens is the weight of your own body just slowly suffocates you. And you get enough strength and you stand the pain long enough to push up on those nails a little bit and get a breath like you're treading water and sinking and then you go back down again. On that hour after hour, and for some people day after day, the enemy pretty well orchestrated that, didn't he? Hereafter, the prince of this world coming. But you know, if you read the book of Job, it has 42 chapters. And after chapter 2, you don't hear any more from the devil. Now you hear a lot between Job and his friends and the young man Elihu, and then you hear God come give the final word, which he always has. But you don't hear any more from the devil. You know why? Because Job defeated the devil in that battle. He did. And he still had to face not only his friends but himself. And that was a longer, some ways harder battle. Jesus Christ defeated the devil. More resoundingly than Job. More resoundingly than Job. And yet the sufferings brought about by the prince of this world and the people of this world was not the least part of the Lord's suffering. The greatest part came when the darkness fell and God Himself put the penalty for your sins, child of God. Here's my great hope and belief. For my sins, He made His Son to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, I want to come back to that, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's when the worst suffering came. That transcended all of it. Jesus Christ there's, there being forsaken of God, the Son of Man, suffering such a torment, uh, being made sin when He had never committed or even thought of sin. He underwent that suffering. But I want you to know he defeated Satan. I can't say it like he did, but the old Welch preacher, I love the picture and I come to it often. He said, as the Lamb of God hung upon the cross, there on the hill of Calvary, up came the great three enemies, sin, Satan, and death. Coming to celebrate the victory over the Lamb of God 
And when they came up that hill in the darkness, they found the Lion of Judah. And the mighty back claws of the Lion of Judah tore the strength and the guts out of sin. And you know what 1 Corinthians 15 says? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. You can pull the sting of of death out only by uh, taking away the strength of sin. And the only way you can take away the strength of sin is by keeping the law. And that's precisely what the Lord Jesus Christ did there, hanging in the darkness. He kept the law. He kept the law to completion in God's eyes. And He kept the law for His people who were given to Him. Keeping the law entirely until it was all paid for, there the strength of sin was eradicated. And because the law had been kept and the strength of sin was eradicated, sin found itself cast as far from God's people as the east is from the west. It was withdrawn. It was cut up. It was disemboweled. It was destroyed in that way. And so there was sin. And Satan, in shock, He was there seeing the main part of his accusation gone. And the mighty four paws of the Lion of Judah took him and bound him as a strong man and spoiled his house. Took the children of God out of the accusation of Satan in the courtroom of God. Then death, seeing that sin had been destroyed, Satan bound, death fled down the hill and hid in the tomb. And the mighty Lion of Judah comes right into the tomb and corners that beast and swallows up death and victory. That's what the Lord did. So He defeated the prince of this world. But He said, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now, he had plenty for the Lord. There was a blindfold, there was a rod, there was a scourge, there was nails, there was a crown of thorns, there was a, there was a spear, there was all of that. He had... But Satan had nothing in Jesus Christ. Because he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. There was no, there was no operating basis for Satan inside the Lord. You ever heard the term the fifth column? The fifth column means if an enemy's approaching a city or a country and uh, it's going to besiege and try to attack it and overthrow it, it's got four columns of different things, maybe infantry and artillery and cavalry and, and uh, scouts and reconnaissance. I don't know what the four columns are, but the fifth column refers to traitors that are inside the country being attacked. And that happens often with people, but it's not with the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan had nothing in him. He cast his greatest attack, but there was nothing in the Lord. But it's not so with me. Satan has something in me right now. You know, when a child of God is born again, God does something wonderful. By grace, He puts the Spirit of the Son of God into your hearts crying, Daddy. That's what it says in Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. 
That means within you, and it says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So the Lord puts something clean, good, sinless within you. The new man. The new man. You say, well, is that new man me? Yes. How can that be? Think about it this way. Suppose you've got a computer and it's got all, all your old files on it and it's got pictures and it's got documents and everything. And you've got an operating system that's clunky and it's uh, prone to failure and it's just a misery. And you uh, put in a new operating system, the file's there, and it operates so smoothly and so efficiently. And it's got access to all those files. So you use your computer just like you did before, just now. It works differently. It works better. Well, think about this. Okay, there's a human spirit before somebody's born again. And the human spirit, the spirit of man, knows the things of man. Got all your memories. Your spirit's been with you since the time you were conceived. You know, it's got all these memories and everything. But when God puts His spirit within you, he still has access to all those memories. All those things that happen in your life. There's, but now, your whole fundamental purpose for living is different. For before you lived just for yourself, there was no love. There was no reverence of God. There was no seeking of God. There was no hunger and thirst after righteousness. And now, when somebody's born again, here's the new man within them that hungers and thirsts after righteousness that mourns for sin, over sin, that seeks after God. All of it still has the same memories and stuff. Still remembers when you faced the bullies on the playground. Still remember when you flunked that test. Still remember when you got that first ice cream cone. Still remember when you played Little League. It's you. It's you. But it's a you that is longing for God. But after you're born again, you're kind of a complex creature. Because now there's this new man, and there's still the old man. Paul says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I still see the law of sin warring in my members. In Ephesians, I think it tells us that we are to, to uh, put off the old man, and we are to put on the new man. What does that mean? It means... That the new man should be the one using our body, which is kind of neutral. And our bodies should minister to and manifest, not the old man, but the new man. When you use your body to pick up a Bible and open it up and read and pray while you're reading, you are using your body to minister to the new man. Now what is this new man? Now I've heard it described, and I'll just tell you, this is a frequently used illustration that I don't believe is that within you is a white dog and a black dog, and they're, they're wrestling. And who is it that wins at a, any given minute? Well, the one you feed, or the one you say sick them to. I'll tell you why I don't, I don't embrace that particular illustration. Because there's not a third party you out there to feed one dog or the other. You are the good one. And it's not a white dog evenly matched with a black dog. That old man is a wily, strong, mean wolf. It's a writhing, curly, poisonous snake. That's the old man. 
The new man is a new little newborn lamb, just barely can walk, stands with its knees trembling. The new man, by himself, is no match. But the new man can win every battle. You know how? By calling on the Lion of Judah. The same one that won that battle on the cross will win every battle when you call on Him to fight that old man. Every battle. As Brother Jeff said last night, it's not true that the Lord will put nothing on you that you're not able to bear. But it is true that He will put nothing on you that He's not able to bear. And He carries you along with Him in that battle. You win it because he, the new man has to call on the Lord. You're going to lose every time you try it on your own. You're going to win every time you call on Him because greater is He that is within you than he that is within the world. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. There's a prayer in Psalm 86. It is, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Did you catch that? There the psalmist is recognizing there's something complex about me. There's something divided about me. There's a new man. There's an old man. There's the inner man that delights after the law of God. There's a law of sin warring in my members. There is this, I hate this battle. I hate this division. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I want to be unified. But I don't want, you know, sometimes, and here's the temptation of the enemy. The enemy says, unify around the old man. You know what you're like inside. You know the sinful things you want. You know the sinful things you've done. Quit playing around. Quit pretending to be a goody shoe, two shoes, church going saint. Just be honest with yourself. And he's a liar from the beginning and the father of it. Because the real you is the new man. That's the real you. And, it, and the psalmist didn't say, Lord, unite my heart. He said, unite my heart to fear thy name. He says, I want to be one person. I want to hold fast what? My integrity. My oneness. But I want to be one with the new man. The new creature that fears the name of God. I think I've even said this before here, but I'll say it again. You know, sometimes we... We wonder, what is the real us? What are we, you know? Uh, am I this polite, religious exterior? Or am I that seething mass of sloth and vanity and greed that I know lies right underneath? And the enemy will do everything he can to say, that's you. That right under the surface, that ugly, conniving, petty, scheming, Guy looking for his own advantage. That's you. That's you. But he's a liar. Because underneath all that ugliness, there's something else. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. It's kind of like peeling back the layers of an onion, isn't it? But Satan wants you to stop at layer number two. He doesn't want you to lift up the next layer where the light of the Lord is shining. The psalm... The poem that I think of is one by Shel Silverstein. He said, I asked a zebra one time, 
Are you white with black stripes or are you black with white stripes? And the zebra said to me, are you sloppy with some neat ways or neat with some sloppy ways? Are you lazy with some hard-working ways or hard-working with some lazy ways? You know, And on and on and on and on and went. I'll never ask a zebra about stripes again. <laughs> so what is it with you? Are you a bad person with a good coating? Are you a good person battling against sin? I know which one the prince of this world wants you to believe. But I know the one that God wants you to believe. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and he that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Stop believing the lies of the prince of this world. The prince of this world cometh, and you need to realize he has something in you. He's got something in me. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4 we read, Neither give place to the devil. You remember the context? Be ye angry and sin not. Neither let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. You can give him a place. He's got something in you. Deny him a landing. Deny him a dwelling. Use your... And that's why the use of your body is so important. You know, it's not that... You know, sometimes people want to think that drunkenness is a whole lot worse than greed or sexual sins is a whole lot worse than lying. All of that. And, and all of these things are sins. But some of them do involve the use of your body. And when you use your body in order to minister to and manifest the old man rather than the new man, you're kind of giving a place for the devil. If you don't think so, you look at somebody that's hooked on alcohol or methamphetamines or cocaine or something. You look at some good, sweet people, folks that would be loving, do some of the meanest things to keep that going. Why? Because their body now is trained to minister to the old man. And before you say, well, I'm not addicted to those things. I don't have to worry about it. I'll tell you what you and I do have to do. We have to practice using our body to minister to and manifest the new man. So, let me give you an example. I beseech you, brethren, therefore by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Why do we want you sitting in these pews? Well, it is nice. It makes me look like a more popular preacher. But that's not the reason. The, The big reason is you need to use your body to minister to and to manifest the new man. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Even here, how did Jesus Christ say He was going to show His love for the Father? As the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. If you love me, said the Lord, keep my commandments. 
Let's spend the rest of our time here on earth showing our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you.